Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm your host, Cade Webb. And as always, I'm joined by Dustin Ragusa for what is probably a little bit more somber podcast than we're used to after the Cowboys reeled off one of their best regular seasons in history. Uh, Dustin, how are you, man? How are you doing after that loss? I think I'm, I think I'm recovered. Yeah. It took a little while. I think I'm honestly over it. I don't even want to do the podcast today. <laughs> well, it's kind of like I told you, recapping that game, watching it again was death by a thousand paper cuts. It was yes. just, uh, it was more painful than I remembered having been in the stadium right there, seeing it unfold before your eyes. Uh, just a lot of missed opportunities in that one. So tough to swallow, but um, not difficult to reflect on what was a, you know, a really fun ride that just ended in a sad way, but it is what it is. And Oklahoma state's going to have an opportunity to go up against one of the biggest brands in college football, biggest brands in sports and Notre Dame. And so not a bad consolation prize. I know there's no moral victories. I think Oklahoma state's above that now, but uh, still PlayStation Fiesta bowl after a loss like that against a perennial blue blood is not the worst thing that could happen to the program. So uh, Dustin, I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right into this. Um, I mean, we can start, we'll start with the offense because I think that was where this game was uh, in my opinion, where the game was brought back tight and then where the game was lost. So I want to know kind of what you saw in your breakdown and uh, yeah, I think we can just start there. Yeah. So coming into this one, obviously we, I think we have to touch on the injuries first. Is that fair? I, I think it's point one, two, and three. Absolutely. <laughs> so you got Jalen Warren. He comes out there for two plays. Casey Dunn, after the game, says they just could tell he couldn't go. He's got the sternum injury and an ankle. So basically, he's hurt two different places. Running backs probably take the most brute force hits throughout a game. They just thought he couldn't go. Gundy came out at halftime and even said he couldn't go. You've got Danny Godleski. Starting center, Miami, Ohio transfer has been awesome all season. Played great in the first Baylor matchup going up against Baylor's nose guard, uh, Ika. He's out. Braden Cassidy and Logan Carter. Carter was a game-time decision. He was able to play, I think, 12 snaps is what I had him at. Cassidy, ankle, they said he's a go. He just wasn't able to do it. I, I heard that the ankle was just a little bit more hurt than they thought. And then Josh Sills. We can get into that a little bit more. He's He was playing so hurt. That might have been his worst game as a Cowboy. And I don't mean that – it still wasn't that bad of a game for him because he's a great offensive lineman, but he just could not move. He could not get any push off the line of scrimmage. So when you're coming out there with those injuries on offense, it's just really tough. And what Baylor did right from the get-go – and, Kate, I know you and I talked about this offline. They went two high safeties, and they basically just said – Oklahoma State try to run the ball on us. We're only going to put six in the box, and we don't think you can do it. Yep. And as we saw, the Cowboys just were not able to get their outside zone running game going at all. Yeah, which was a backbreaker. I mean, as you said, 
this was kind of the the remaining thought for me is even as they go down to the goal line and get stuffed it's like the injuries to warren and godlevsky and sills just stand out uh in this matchup because it makes you think like okay if those guys are in and even remotely healthy you know if they're even in there does that give you a better shot uh, down there at the goal line. I think it does. Absolutely. As we saw, you know, earlier in the year in this matchup, but um, injuries, a huge storyline. Um, and as you just mentioned, Baylor going two high safeties and Oklahoma state not being able to run the ball, basically forced Oklahoma state into a position where it was either RPO or throw it way deep. And they went, they resorted to the uh, throw it deep offense late in the second quarter, because that's all they could do. Uh, and it forced Baylor to respect that. And they had to back off a little bit. Um, and I think that's why Oklahoma state had a little bit more success in that second half moving the ball. Um, but, you know, to me, it's like not being able to run the ball was a surprising factor. I thought they would have trouble. I didn't think it would be suffocating the way it was. I thought it would look a lot like what happened against Oklahoma um, where you hit several chunk plays and then, you know, it looks a lot, a lot of second longs. I think we even talked about that last week, a lot of second longs. Um, and that was just what ended up happening. And to say I was shocked would be a lie, but to, I would say I was um, surprised at how poorly Oklahoma state blocked and ran the ball. Yeah. And you hit on it right there. The blocking is just a key in the run game. We talked about it last podcast. 88% of the plays in the first matchup featured a Cowboy back. In this yeah. one, 87% of the plays did not. And our guy, number 28, Blaine Green, true freshman, we love him. But at 215 pounds against this Baylor defensive line, I mean, it's not just Ika. It's, it's all these guys. They're monsters on Baylor's defensive yeah. line. And they have been all season. And they just... Oklahoma State's identity, Casey Dunn's identity as an offensive coordinator this year has been to establish the outside zone running game and then open up, open up things with the passing, get the quarterback run game going. That's what he wants to do. 1.52 yards per zone rush in this game compared to 4.21 yards in the yeah. first game. Yeah, it felt The longest like rush of the day was 10 yards. It, it was early in the game. And it was a Des Jackson run. And honestly, if he makes the last guy miss, he's probably gone for a touchdown right. on that one. I think that's a play Jalen Warren, fully healthy, makes that last guy miss. They just were not able to get anything going. I'll, I'll show some clips this week on my Twitter breakdowns, but they're just there's no push when we're talking about a banged up Godlevsky or a banged up Sills, no Godlevsky, and then Blaine Green. That's just three huge detriments to the offensive line. And Baylor did a great job of attacking the perimeter with their defensive guys. We talked about Terrell Bernard being back in this game. I knew it was going to be an impact, but I think I said on the podcast, I didn't think it was going to be enough of an impact to get Baylor a victory. He was a monster. Him All and Petrie coming off the edge, they were yeah. screaming. What he was doing too, we've seen Oklahoma State get a lot of rushing yards up back lanes. We talked about it in between the guards. They weren't able to do that because when they ran away from Bernard, he would sit there in that A, B gap area and just be waiting for the cutback. They were not able to get anything going with their cutback game. And it just, it just completely disrupted their offense. And like you said, they, were, they had to resort to the passing game. And Spencer Sanders threw the ball 46 times. Yeah, that's got to be a season high, yeah? I mean, I believe it is. Four interceptions, 
only 5.6 yards per completion. Yeah. Yeah. That's just not going to do it. It's not going to do it, especially when you consider that Oklahoma state's identity was the complete opposite of that all season. I mean, they just, they took away what made, what got Oklahoma state to that point, Um, that running game, not being there um, again, I think Jalen Warren being out was even more of an issue than I expected. I, you know, all due respect to Des Jackson and Dominic Richardson, but the way Jalen Warren, I mean, his center of gravity is so low, he's explosive, makes guys miss. Um, I think that was a huge issue down by the goal line. Absolutely. But even in between the twenties, like they, they didn't reel off any chunk runs that we were used to seeing all year that get them into Baylor territory. So everything that, that had to go wrong to lose this game for Oklahoma state went wrong turnovers, inability to run the football. Uh, and again, turnovers, it's a huge deal, but um, I mean, Dustin, it was really disappointing. And, you know, I kind of want to get into Spencer now that we're kind of, you know, talking about these interceptions and we can get back to anything that you were thinking about. But um, I, again, saying I'm shocked is an understatement or an overstatement, but I was really surprised with, with Spencer Sanders play on Saturday. And I thought he did some really good things. I thought he was really decisive in the RPO game and then other moments where it was just like a, a definite head scratcher. Yeah, I think early in the game, we've heard Gundy talk about it many times. If Spencer's able to get his rushing game going, it kind of builds his confidence. And then if he's able to get some good protection early, the first quarterback run of the game, they're able to stop it from that too high safety look. And in the stadium, I'm just thinking, oh boy, (laughs) we're going to have some problems today. And like we said with Bernard and Petrie, we, we talked about it last week. What Baylor likes to do Ron Roberts and Dave Miranda, they have their simulated pressures where something Jim Knowles does as well. They look like they're going to bring six guys drop into coverage, or they call them the, their creepers, where they'll have four guys on the line of scrimmage. Three of those guys will rush. One will drop into coverage, and then a guy from the second level or third or even third level will come after the quarterback, that being a lot of times Petrie and Bernard, who we've talked about. Birmingham and Wilson, they struggled with that speed off the edge. And then something else people – I don't think people are thinking about here, losing Warren is a detriment to your rushing game. He's probably one of the best pass-protecting running backs in the Big 12, maybe in the country. He's out of there. You've got Dom and Des back there who – they're capable guys, but Warren is a mastermind back there in pass pro. It just – Spencer's not getting enough good protection, and he's going through his progressions a lot of times and making some good throws early on, but there were some that I just – really didn't understand, especially that very first interception Yep. Yep. to Brendan Presley. So they're in the too high look. It looks like there's a couple things after watching this play, maybe 75 times because I couldn't (laughs) figure out what's going on. It looks like he may be trying to fit the ball in between the corner and the safety. So there's like a little window where Presley is, but even if he's trying to do that, it was not the right throw there. I'm not sure if there was some miscommunication on the route as well, because Presley's not even looking. He also gets held a little bit. Maybe not enough to call. The only other thing I can think, though, because Spencer, right after he throws the ball, he throws his hands into the air looking for a call and then runs over to the ref right after to talk to him about that. So the only other thing I can think is maybe he let go of the ball to try to get the ref's eyes over there to try to get that defensive holding or since the ball was in the air, pass interference. But other than that, 
unless there was some miscommunication on the route, that was one of his worst throws I've ever seen. We we saw him do that in the first matchup against Baylor to Brennan Presley. Very similar crossing route over the middle. And I think that's what Brent, or what Spencer thought he saw, but it was the exact same mistake he made the first time these teams met. You've got a guy underneath, you've got a corner underneath, and a safety over the top, and you're trying to fit the ball into a window like – Brendan Presley is not a tall guy. Like you really need like an Austin Stogner out there or a Charlie Kolar to even think about throwing that ball. Um, frankly, it was just a dangerous throw that when it happened, it's like, okay, uh, that's not good. Like what you, you talking about the inability to run with the quarterback. That was my moment. That was like, okay, this is not going to be the walk in the park. And I don't even think it was going to be that, but I, I expected Spencer to play a lot better than that. And that was the first moment, like the first chink of the armor, so to speak. Well, and the problem is you start off on the first drive. You've got the drop by Blaine Green where Spencer goes through his progressions. I think Green might have been his third option there. You get the drop. You've got the low throw to Cassidy on a crosser, one of the only plays Cassidy played, where Spencer's getting pressured. Bad throw, but he is getting pressured there. And then you've got Spencer throwing an absolute missile to Blaine Green in the end zone. I think that I think he's got to catch that ball. So you start off, you start off with those three, those three pass plays. You've got the quarterback run getting stuffed. I think, I think his confidence took a hit early. But credit to Baylor's defense. We talked about on the last podcast. One thing we said we didn't want to happen is Spencer Sanders turnovers, but we knew it was a possibility because of the disguised looks, because of the simulated pressure, because of the creepers. Aranda and Ron Roberts are two of the best doing it right now. Yeah. You, you got to give credit to them as well. But you have that interception. He comes back out there, throws that second one. Again, I'm not 100% sure what that play was. It looked, <laughs> it looked like the running back was coming out and some of the linemen were running out to maybe block for a halfback screen. But then Blaine Green chip blocks and releases off the line as well, which – that could not have been the route. He literally is just running out of bounds. I think he needed to go more upfield there. He, he did. It, that's what it looked like. There was a big hole up, up north on the field. Yes. So it could have been fake halfback screen toss over to Blaine Green. We haven't seen that play. So I, I'm not 100%. I could be wrong there. I don't have the all 22 on that. It was a little bit tough because of the way the camera angle was on TV when I watched that back to be able to tell what was going on. But Spencer is getting hit. As he's trying to throw it, I don't think he thought number 52 for Baylor was there to get to that ball. I yeah. don't think he could get to it. So uh, he's got to get that. If he's trying to throw that out of bounds, he's got to throw that a million yards out of bounds. Yeah. But I want to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. Cause if you freeze frame it, when he's getting hit and trying to throw it, it doesn't look like 52 can make that play. That was a heck of a play by that guy. And Baylor's, Baylor's ends and linebackers were doing such a great job peeling off on our tight ends, our cowboy backs and running backs, whenever they swing routes out to the flats, they were absolutely killing it there. So you got to give them credit, but that one again, I mean, what did you think there? Well, that one to me, it was like, I think I get what was going on. Like, I think you nailed it. It was, it was, looking like a fake halfback screen with a leak out down the sideline. And I think they were trying to get about 20, 25 yards there. And if, 
And it, it looked would've. like it looked like Green got grabbed a little bit at the beginning of that route, which is legal. You can do that, but I think it threw the timing off that entire route. You'd like to see Green get a little physical, swat his hands away, and get down the field. But Spencer's under pressure too, so and I'm with you. Spencer's got to throw that one like into the second row. He's he's got to put everything he's got behind that, and that's if he's throwing it away. And if he wasn't, it's like man you would really like to see that linebacker there, that defensive end who's peeling off, um, going to drop into zone. So I, I didn't like that one. That was the second moment in the game where I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, this is one of those games. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to hammer on Spencer because what, one thing I want to point out, I thought he threw the downfield, like, vertical routes as well as I've seen him throw those in his career. Every single one was – pretty on point there there was one that was underthrown to Jaden Bray but it results in a, a, a PI so you let that one go that's a net gain uh, I thought he did a really good job in in waiting for that if they if the offensive line can protect him long enough waiting and making the right throw I thought he did a really good job with that I thought he did a really good job with some of that mid like intermediate routes with Tay Martin John Paul Richardson um but it was just those mistakes so on that interception you know I think I know what he was thinking but you just would either like to see him take the sack uh and hindsight's 2020 but I mean the sack doesn't kill you he didn't get sacked it felt like at all right and and Cade really after the next throw the one literally right after the, it, it's, it was really three throws in a row that were terrible. And then the rest was pretty normal. Spencer yeah. Sanders. I thought he looked good. Like you're saying, I really want to, when I get the all 22 for this game, I really want to see what happened on that very next throw. I don't know if you remember this one. They only showed it once the beginning camera angle only had the line. Basically I couldn't see anything else and they didn't show a replay but he throws it to Presley with three Baylor defenders around. And you only get the one look at it, but that from just that camera view might've been worse than the other two throws. And it didn't, it didn't result in a pick, did it? No, it was an incompletion. And then after that, Kate, you're right. He's back there. If, if you let those three go, which you can't, you can't do in the grand scheme of things, but I'm just saying when you're looking at his maturity as a quarterback over the years, after those three throws, it's back to what we've seen from him this year, him going to his second, his third read, him moving around in the pocket, evading pressure, like you said, not getting sacked, just doing a great job of being able to kind of make throwing windows. Even the interception later in the game on one of my favorite plays we've talked about on here, that split zone play action rollout to Presley, he's able to stop after sprinting out to his left torque his arm to kind of a sidearm throw and fit it in a throwing window that not many quarterbacks can do that, especially not many if they're not a dual threat guy that can get out there. He's literally having to stop, torque his body, move his arm, and get it there to Presley. He throws a little bit behind him, but I think Presley's got to catch that. And just some of the plays he's able to make, like you said, he hit on the deep, he hit on one deep ball to Bray. That might have been, I know I've kind of, been critical of Bray's deep routes on this podcast, but that might've been his best one. He gave the defender kind of a little shimmy shoulder when he right before the ball got there to kind of create some separation that the ref's not going to call. So that was pretty awesome. And on a couple of them, he's getting pressured. And I just didn't think, I didn't think overall outside of those three plays we just talked about, I didn't think it was an overall terrible day for Sanders. And on the deep one where he gets hit, and throws it short, and it gets intercepted. 
people are going to say he held the ball too long. I got my stopwatch out, Cade. 3.6 seconds. That's too long. But go back and look at the routes. He's got the swing route out to the side. It's covered. He's got the long drag across the field, also covered. And then what Tay Martin is doing there is they've hit Tay on that dig route, that in-breaking route, so many times this season. He runs it so well. He's pumping that to Tay, and Tay's taking off on an in and up. That's a long developing route. Yeah. they called that because they thought the offensive line could block for long enough. So I don't think you can blame that one on Sanders holding it too long either. That's the guy, the guy calling the game on TV said that. And just going back and looking at it, I don't think he can, I don't think you can criticize him that much. Yeah. That. In the stadium, it's always tough too. I got to stop tweeting during the game, especially when I'm there. Cause when you're watching it at home, you get such a better advantage of seeing it from a different angle. I mean, we were on the, in the 12th row not like we're basically eye level, like with what's going on. So it's tough to see what he saw, but after going back and looking at it, it did look like Tay was releasing down the middle of the field. And it, I can't tell, like, if you go back and look at that, I can't tell if the safety lets him go or if the safety essentially sees as Martin is passing him that Sanders is getting hit and the balls fluttering. Like it does. I don't know if he's releasing him or if, the the you know basically hit on the quarterback has already happened so you're still getting martin one-on-one down yeah 100 percent. so i see what he saw um so again i don't have a huge issue with that i want to go back to and this is not the you know breakdown spencer sanders interceptions podcast there was a lot more that went wrong here but uh on that second one the the halfback screen uh over to blaine green I don't know if you noticed this on the flip side of the field. And I don't know if this was legal. I need to go back and look a little bit closer. John Paul Richardson uh, and Jaden Bray are on the opposite side of the field. And they basically both run and they're, they're lined up in, in like splits. Like they're right next to each other and they both run a dig. And it looks like he's got all the room in the world. If Spencer just turns the other direction and flips it out in the flat, he's got room. I don't know if that was even a possibility. I need to go back and look a little bit closer, but um, that was interesting to see the whole other side of the field was there's nobody out there. So, yeah. 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 No, that that's interesting. I actually didn't notice that on rewatch, but I'll I'll go back and take a look for sure. But yeah, I'm just kind of looking through, I kind of made notes on all his incompletions, the fade balls to Tay, all of those were pretty good. That's just good coverage from Baylor. Tay probably could have brought one of those down as well, but good coverage from Baylor on theirs on those. You've got a couple throwaways. You got a couple th- times where he got absolutely destroyed on the backside with less than 2 seconds to throw it. You've got the throw to our guy Tyler Lacey in the end zone. Other than that, it wasn't it wasn't one of his best days this year by far. I'm yeah. not saying that at all. I just think a couple of those bad throws, take those off. And you can't, that's hypothetical speaking, but everything else, I thought he looked like the Sanders we've seen yeah. the rest of the year on a lot of those throws going through his progressions and evading the pass rush. So I want, I want to talk about, you know, goal line offense a little bit, because that's really the the storyline of, of this game. Like you can almost throw out everything else that happened because it comes down to a first and goal uh, inside the one yard line that Oklahoma state can't convert. On first down, they bring in Brennan Evers and Tyler Lacey, run the exact same play they ran on the previous series that got stuffed um, and get stuffed again. And they leave Evers in and Tyler Lacey in that entire series. I would have loved to see on first down, and I, I, I'm not going to be critical of Casey Dunn very often, um, 
I would have loved to see on first down with less than a half yard, put Evers and Lacey directly behind Spencer. I know they've got uh, Siaki Ika right there, and I know you've got a backup center, but you've already got Evers and, and Tyler Lacey in there. Why not bring them right behind the quarterback and just everybody shove? To me, they, they, <laughs> ran, they ran that earlier in the game, and it worked. They ran a yeah. quarterback sneak on a third and one, and it worked. They got a yard. So in those seven plays inside the one, not one time did they go quarterback sneak. And you can really only do it on first down because they start getting backed up, so you can't run it on second, third, or fourth down. But on first down, to me, it's like you've already got the jumbo package in. If you're worried about strength on, on Baylor's side, you've already got Evers and, and Lacey in there and Jackson behind him. So everybody just push. That's the way I see that, that first down play call going. No, I like that. And honestly was a little surprised. We didn't see them go to their power where the backside guard pulls. It hasn't worked a lot this season. They ran it a few Would times. Would have been earlier. a different look though. Yeah. They haven't run it in a while when they go to that 13 personnel look and run that. But Casey Dunn said after the game, he said he, he wished he would have put a little bit more trust in the receivers and Spencer Sanders when he got in the red zone, maybe spread them out a little bit, maybe try to get some slants, maybe a little pick rub route, maybe somebody dragging across, maybe even, you know, quick flip on a jet sweep to Presley or somebody like that. But man, it's, it was tough. It was tough in the red zone. You'd like to see Casey Dunn called himself out on it. You'd like to see maybe a little bit more creativity because they have done yeah, some cool stuff this season in the red zone that you and I have talked about on this podcast. Well, Tay, that reverse to Tay Martin last beautiful. week. Yeah, last beautiful. week. So I and and you know, like to me, it's like you can even throw out the play calling when you can't go get a half yard. You know, like you've got to be able to do that. But I didn't love that. And on third down, and Casey Dunn called him out for it. So I'm I'm not gonna you know lay it on him. But yeah, a rollout with Tyler Lacey as the primary receiver when you haven't ran that all year is is just a, it's a head scratcher to me. I, I get it. I get that they're, you know, they've had those guys in for, you know, two series now. So you're trying to show them a different look, trying to catch them off guard, but you haven't ran that all year. So the odds of that working to me were very slim. And, you know, Spencer had it really early, but for a very short amount of time, like he would have had to, I mean, really pull that trigger at the exact right time for that to work. So um, yeah, it, just don't it love it. It was an interesting there. play. You saw your guy Evers was in there as well. Oh, I, I know. Evers was in. I, I'm telling you, they put Evers <laughs> was behind. Four. They put Cowboy Evers guys. behind Spencer. It's a, it's a walk in the park. You're walking the yeah. dog. So uh, we'll call that 14 personnel. Yeah. Four I, you know what? Next year, next year, I hope to see a lot of QB sneaks just to, <laughs> just to wet my appetite. So, um, yeah. So things that did just, just to be on the positive note, things that did work. I really liked the RPO QB draw game that was going on. So basically what Sanders is looking for there is he drops back on a normal QB draw, you'd actually see the lineman release up field to kind of take the middle, the interior lineman to take away some second level guys. So they don't do that here. It looks like just normal pass pro. And what Sanders is doing is he's looking, there's normally a swing route. And if the weak side linebacker follows the swing, Sanders will take off on the draw. If he doesn't, he'll throw the swing route. That worked several times. And Sanders does such a good job reading that. Love that. The last drive of the game when they marched down the field, we saw a lot of RPO on that, saw a lot of tempo. Tempo actually worked last time against Baylor. It worked this time, but they just weren't able to string together enough consecutive positive plays. 
they would get going a little bit with tempo and then a run play would get stopped for negative two yards. And that was the problem because Baylor was having trouble with the tempo and they had trouble with it last time and they struggled with it on the last drive of the game. So I really like the tempo. I really like some of the RPO stuff we saw. Anything that involves a Sanders, a Smith, and we've seen Lincoln Riley's OU teams do this a lot when they had Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. The quarterback kind of draw RPO game is something I really like with Spencer Sanders. I hope we see more of that next season. Yeah, I hope so too. I, I liked a lot of what they tried to do. Uh, Baylor just frankly made life really hard on Oklahoma State, and they were a physical team. So I think a lot of the you know, griping that you can do about play calling and turnovers is just like, I think you can give half of that to the fact that Baylor was really, really physical. And for the first time all year, I thought Oklahoma State was not the most physical team on the field. And that's not even really a knock on Oklahoma State's physicality. It's more, more of it is a compliment to, to Baylor's. So, yeah. And, you know, I talked about, I didn't think Baylor's defensive backs could stand up to the test and they did. And, and Dunn even tried to do some things with since the Cowboy backs weren't in there. You saw him. I don't know if you noticed, Cade, they were going with some kind of tight bunch formations where you'd have Blaine Green and then two of the receivers all kind of stacked up next to the tackle. They're doing that to try to help out with the outside zone running game. It just wasn't working. I, and I mean, receivers shouldn't be asked to do that. So it's not their fault. But Tay, John Paul Richardson, they're just not able to get a push. Yeah not able to get Bernard, not able to get Petrie, not able to get any of the Baylor perimeter guys that were coming in and get them really blocked and kind of sealed to open up any lanes. And you know what? You can't really blame it all on the offensive line either because there were a couple of times, I know I talked about Bernard Bernard kind of chilling in those gaps, those cutback gaps, but there were a couple of times when Des Jackson had some cutback lanes when the offensive line sealed them off and there was a trap block when Blaine green would land that trap block a few times in the game. And they, Des just didn't cut it back. He just doesn't have the vision that a Jalen Warren has And no shot on Des. I think he's a great running back for what his skill set is, but Jalen Warren is a zone running field vision mastermind. And you can say him being out wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have changed the game drastically. I know Casey Dunn said it didn't change the play calling, but just the way he's able to read that outside zone blocking scheme and make his cuts, it's a total game changer. Because yeah. you can go back and watch, Des Jackson was not able to do it like Warren could. Not that there weren't as many chances in this game because Baylor's defensive line and linebackers were awesome, but there were some that were missed. Yeah. Well, and it seems like Dominic Richardson has a little bit better vi like vision in that regard on that touchdown run. He had great cutback that he saw. I mean, shoot, you and I could have walked through that. It was blocked up really well. So he um, seemed kind of banged up. Yeah, he didn't he didn't have the burst that I was uh, familiar with with him. I thought I thought Jackson looked the healthiest. Yes, I, I think Richardson might have been a little banged up. I, I haven't gotten that confirmed but from anyone, but that had to have been the case for him not getting as many carries because you'd think he would have kind of been the workhorse. Yeah. You would, you would have thought for sure. You know, one thing I thought about too, it would have been nice to have LD Brown back there last week. A little speed. Yeah. A little speed, some zone running familiarity, a lot of experience um, would have been really nice. So I hadn't thought yeah, about LD in quite some time, but uh, he might've helped. And Cade really just to, I mean, we can stay on the offense, no, but really we can my, put a cap on point, it. My point to wrap it up was I thought Dunn was trying some things. Red zone's a different story, but like I said, with the, with the kind of bunch receiver looks, 
he tried to go to some, he tried to bring the cowboy backs out there a few times. They just couldn't do it. They went to some trips, spread them out. And what that does against Baylor is if you're able to kind of spread Baylor out, then you can kind of tell where their creepers are coming from. They're not able to disguise it as much, but man, just nothing was working until really that until really in the second half, they were able to get a little bit of stuff going, but it wasn't that they weren't trying some different things. Baylor's defense was just shutting them down. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think physicality, like you talked about the injuries to the to Oklahoma state, poor execution on some plays. And I think Baylor's defense just being really good. Yeah. I think you're spot on, man. And I think we've done a, a pretty thorough job of breaking it down. It was uh, a tough, tough offensive performance to watch. And again, I leave that with, you know, more respect for Baylor than I had previously, just that physicality. I think Terrell Bernard made a huge impact on them. Siaki Ika, uh, a freak. It'd be nice to have one of those running around, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you can only do so much. So in, six, in, four, three fifty. Yeah. Yes. Six, four, three fifty. And uh, is just a monster. So um, key injuries at the worst possible spot on the field for Oklahoma state you know, really feels like it's a, it's a big factor there. Um, Dustin, before we move on to the defensive side of the football, let's hear a word from our sponsor. All right, guys, listen up. Sponsor on the podcast, Homefield Apparel is absolutely crushing it. If you haven't checked them out yet, you absolutely need to. I mean, they are leading the charge in premium vintage collegiate apparel right now. Uh, I mean, they are offering vintage college sports t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies with over a hundred schools available. And I mean, they're adding new ones all the time. I'm sitting here looking at their uh, main uh, page right now. I see this vintage University of Connecticut Huskies shirt. I mean, I'm, I lived in Connecticut for a few years. I might need to, to spring for that or or at least put it on my Christmas list, right? I mean, Christmas right around the corner. Um, I mean, if you use our promo code FEELS12, you're going to get 15% off your first order. So with us being right next to the holidays, this is the perfect gift. Uh, Homefield Apparel for the sports fan, for the college sports fan, you got to go check them out and use our promo code FEELS12 to get 15% off your first order. And of course, all orders over $100 get free shipping as always. Promo code FEELS12, 15% off your first order, and all orders over $100 get free shipping at Homefield Apparel. Visit them at homefieldapparel.com. All right, Dustin, we're back. An interesting day for the Oklahoma State defense, uh, you know, giving up 21 points in the first half, uh, not giving up any in the second half. This was, to me, a pretty again you go back to the offense turning the ball over on the short side of the field three times it's a pretty easy explanation to how 21 points happens what did you see in your breakdown yeah so (laughs) Baylor's getting the ball Gundy talked about it Noel's talked about it they're giving them short fields the whole first half so I'm not I'm not really sure what you're supposed to do when you go back and look at all the stats from this game basically Baylor did nothing you go, they had more yards in the first game. They only rushed Abram Smith, their leading rusher, 17 carries for 70 yards, I believe. I think that's only 3.7 yards per attempt. You know, we talked about like four, you want to be in the 4.2, 4.3 range. They really weren't able to get anything going. But what Baylor did, and we've talked about this, Cade, we've talked about the scripted plays. So what Baylor did on these scripted plays is they came out 
and they went full. I talked I t- I talk to our friend Adam Lon about it during the game. They came out and went full air raid. Grimes went back to his roots. They looked like the BYU offense that Grimes used to yep. coach. And Oklahoma State had – I know you and I talked about it off air. Has anyone tried to do that to them this year? Because that's not, that's not what Iowa State was doing. They were going heavy tight end, heavy RPO. OU did it, but they were also doing it with tight ends. I think this was the first time a team has come out, especially a team like Baylor, who we talked about on the last podcast. They love to base out of 12 personnel. Yeah. They have those two tight ends in Sims and Dabney that they play all game long. The, you know, and Baylor's they came out went full air raid. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Baylor's approach reminded me a lot of what TCU tried to do to Oklahoma State early in that game, getting people out of position. They not necessarily air raid, but a lot of pre-snap movement and then dinking it into open spots on the field and letting their skill talent take over. I thought that's all Baylor tried to do. Um, and they did, they did go a little bit air raid. And credit to Blake Shapin, man. I mean, I would have, in hindsight, you might prefer Jerry Bohannon out there uh, because (laughs) that dude was throwing it. I mean, those two touchdown passes were pretty money. They were beautiful dimes. We talked about it, though, in the last podcast. What did we say? Quick release. And if his first read is open, he's going to fire it in there. 100%. That's what we saw. And that's what that's what that was some – I was looking up uh, a lot of the guys for Sikkim 365. It's Baylor's uh, paywall site that they have. Travis Rodier, Sam Bradshaw. They're talking about after the game on Twitter, on, in their articles, about how there were multiple plays that Baylor ran during their script that they'd never seen this season at yeah. all. So that it was just a master class from Grimes early on. And I think it would have worked against pretty much any defense in the country. So, Cade, let's say, you know, we talked, Gundy talks about their scripted plays are more about in the 12-ish range. Some teams like to do 15, 20. I know Lincoln Riley, some, some offensive coordinators talk about 25. You've got to take out when you get in some goal line situations. That probably wasn't in the script. But let's say the first 20 plays. So the first 20 plays for Baylor gained 127 yards, 6.35 yards per play. The next 41 plays only gained 112 yards, 2.7 yards per play. Yeah, I mean, I, it, we talk about you, you bring it up all the time. You got to weather the scripted plays and they just weren't able to do it in this game. And it also has to do with the field position, but Baylor came out and Grimes and Shapin and Abram Smith and that Thornton, I got to give him some credit because I've been trashing number one receivers all season. He had a pretty good game. I think it was like 76 yards on seven receptions. Estrada just hurts OSU from the slot. He's a solid player. The time pretty good. It, it just was an all-around great game plan. But the other thing that I really did not like early on, Oklahoma State, they tried to drop into a lot of zone. They tried to do what they've done to Caleb Williams, to guys like you talked about with TCU, with Donovan Smith at Texas Tech. They tried to drop into some zone with some different looks and confuse our guy Shapin. And he wasn't falling for it, and he was able to get the ball out quick. I didn't count. I may have missed one, but I didn't count a five-man pressure from OSU until the 24th play of the game. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and it seemed that way, right? The the way – and, again, Baylor's offense in the, in the beginning parts of that game, 
it felt like everything was side to side and within five to seven yards of the line of scrimmage. So it's not like he was, you know, doing anything spectacular going through one read. That's what it seemed like, but they made it easy on him. And so you have to credit that scheme that they had developed because I thought that they, for the situation going up against Oklahoma state's defense in the big 12 title game, like that's a really tough ask for a quarterback like him. So as a coach, it's your responsibility to do everything you can to not water down the game plan, but make it palatable for a guy like that. And I thought they did a fantastic job of that because, you know, they put him in situations where it's second and four second and three, he doesn't have to do too much. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought the biggest play of the game in the first half uh, and really a defining moment uh, it's after the lateral. It's after the, uh, you know, they called roughly, or I'm sorry, intentional grounding. Chapin's uh, getting sacked, throws the ball sideways. I think it was a backwards pass. Surely wasn't forward. I can tell you that. With yeah. A lot of certainty. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't forward. forward. Uh, but next play, they gain 10 yards, and then Chapin throws an absolute seed to the corner to Tyquan Thornton. And that to great me, coverage on that play. Fantastic. They were in great position Christian and Chapin. With his sidearm wonky delivery, just throws a seed. And it's really, I mean, probably the, to me, the play that nobody's talking about because Oklahoma State's got Baylor to third and goal. And at that point, it was only 14 to three. And it was like third and goal from the 12. So a uh, huge throw. And, and Shapin made a couple of those that was just enough to keep them uh, at arm's distance from Oklahoma State. So I didn't think he did anything over the top, but he didn't make a single mistake, I thought. He really didn't. And, He's a confident guy, and if you don't rattle him early, he's going to get that confidence going. He's going to make plays. Some, something else Baylor did that I thought was really interesting, I haven't seen a lot of teams try to do to OSU this year. So they would go trips, and over the, in, the inside slot receiver, Oklahoma State normally has a safety kind of lined up over them, but about eight, nine, ten yards off the ball. And then they have you know Harper or Rodriguez as the linebacker right there, kind of the overhang playing in between so they can still play the run in the box. And what they were doing was they were getting that. They were kind of sending the running back in an angle route at the linebacker and then doing either a quick out or a slant near behind the linebacker. And there was just space right there because Harper Rodriguez have to make a decision one way or the other. And one of those two guys is going to be open because the safety can't get there in time on those short routes. And they just hit that over and over. Finally, you see Oklahoma State. I'll I'll put a clip up up of this on Twitter. They finally kind of start figuring it out because Knowles is so good at his in-game adjustments, which we talked about. But they're still able – Shapin was still able to fit it in a couple times. It was blowing my mind. He was making some insane throws. And then Baylor with the pick and the rub routes, a couple of those looked illegal. <laughs> oh, the touchdown. The touchdown. The second one was uh, pretty blatant, I thought. Oh, yeah. And, and Cade, I'll, I'm going to put this up on Twitter as well. We almost got – a Jason Taylor, the playmaker. Oh, I know. Because it. I think it was in the third quarter. They come out in the alignment that they've run that pick. They've already run that pick play. I think th- I think they'd already run it three times, maybe four. They kept going to it because it kept working. And Taylor knows what's coming. I'm sure Knowles knew it was coming. They probably talked about it at halftime. He breaks on it, but he just it, – he didn't break hard enough. It looked like yeah. he second-guessed himself a little bit, and it was a good throw. But if he picks that off, it's a pick six. It, it happened right in front of me. I, I was in that corner of the end zone. I, it looked like he, like, as you just said, I, I kind of categorized it as slowed up, but he didn't break hard enough. 
it looked like he might have second-guessed himself. And I don't blame him. The, the success they were having in the red zone on some of those misdirection routes, um, I don't blame him for, for not being over-the-top aggressive. But, you know, if he makes a break on the ball, he, he's walking in. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a no-doubter. So another yeah, disappointing of- part of that. I've, I've been thinking about that play for, for a little bit. Oh, yeah, it really was. And Baylor had a lot of eye candy. They had a lot of, I don't know if you noticed, a lot of tight end kind of faking the block chip blocking and then releasing out they did that on that i think it was a was that a fourth down play that they converted when they hit that tight end over the middle or was that third yeah. down uh, i think it was i think that was think fourth was and four. two yeah and you can see malcolm rodriguez talked about it after the game a couple of the defenders talked about the game really the main problem with the defense in the first half was they were just losing their eyes yep baylor was just kind of tricking them with these wide sets with the tight end chip blocks with the pre-snap motion and they were just losing their eyes, losing their discipline. And what they did in the second half is they just got more aggressive. Knowles talked about it at the game. He said – he literally said we just got more aggressive in the second half. We knew yeah. we had to step it up. You could sense the flow of the game, the momentum. We just had to get back to our defense, and I thought we did that. And they absolutely dominate in the second half. Grimes talked about it after the game that Knowles made him look silly in the second half. And, and I really thought he did. It was – it was Knowles. It was Knowles halftime in-game adjustments. He's better than anybody else. I'll argue anybody that he's better than anybody else in the country at those in-game adjustments. And even down, Christian Holmes, your best cornerback, Corey Black comes in, plays a heck of a game. Love that kid. I'm Locked really field excited goal, to see uh, what he recovered can do. a fumble on that punt. I mean, yeah, special and teams he played great in corner on hundred percent. Hundred percent. He's all over the place. But they came out. And they just dominated. We saw more Colin Oliver, too, in the second half. I was a little disappointed. He only played 21 snaps. Mm. Every time he was out there, I charted the plays, too. Every time he was out there, something pretty much something good happened. Now, like I said, those first two drives, it was heavy Brock Martin. And no, no shot at Brock. He was awesome. He's been awesome all year. But Oliver wasn't in there. Those are the touch short fields. And then when he starts playing a little bit more, Baylor's offensive line was not able to handle his speed. Yeah, it, it was interesting, too. I thought I thought Baylor did a pretty good job. You say in Ebner, or I'm sorry, uh, Abram Smith only had 17 for 70. It felt like in that second quarter, they started to lean on the running game a little bit. They went back and, to 12 personnel yeah, after they, going heavy 10. Yeah, right. And I think that caught Oklahoma State off guard uh, because in that second quarter, they were getting about what felt like six, seven, eight yards a pop. And that's when I thought that game was really starting to teeter. So uh, if you think about the timeline here, uh, that lateral happens on a drive where Baylor is really kind of dominating the line of scrimmage offensively. They dominated defensively. Now they're leaning on their offensive line. And then you come up with what you think is a great stop and then Shapin throws a seed. And it's like, to me, that was when the oxygen left the stadium for quite a while. Um, and, you know, credit to Oklahoma State for getting it back. But that was a, a huge, huge moment in the game. And I don't mean to keep, you know, harping on it, but I just don't think that moment in the game is getting talked about enough because I, no, I think I, that switched everything. I, I completely, I completely agree with you. And it's just, it's just insane when you go back and look at these stats. Okay. I mean, we limited, they limited Baylor's defense to a season low. 242 yards of offense 36 yards of offense in the second half a shock seven rushing yards this is a team who's rushing for like 200 yards a game abram smith seventh nationally with 113.8 rushing yards per game 
Like what I just said, what do you have? Six, what is it? 70 yards? Yeah. 17 for 63. 63. We've been overselling yeah. it. Yeah. So 63 yards. He's at, he almost didn't get to half of his average. It was, it was almost complete domination by the defense. If they don't get those short fields in the first half, I'd be, even with that amazing game plan, I'd be shocked if Baylor was able to score more than one touchdown. I just, I just don't think they would have been able to. And if you don't get those short fields, you don't get those quick touchdowns, you get Baylor going out there more, showing more of that script with longer field to go, to go. Maybe Knowles is able to, able to adjust quicker, but it just, it just happened. So bang, bang, bang. It was so tough. Well, I, it's, it's hard to swallow that one because of the way the defense played in the second half. You would have loved to see them come out a little bit more aggressive in the first half, but I get why not. It's that short field. You're, you're trying to hold them to three at that point. If you hold them to zero, that is a huge win, but you're trying to hold them to three. So make a quarterback go through his reads and hope you can get pressure, and they weren't able to do it. Um, so, again, credit to Jim Knowles for, for making those adjustments. But, you know, Dustin, did you have any other thoughts on the defense? Because I, I want to ask you a question. I, I think, Cade, really my last one was something that was a big thing in the first game is Oklahoma State's cornerbacks and the third safety, so Jason Taylor, were able to play a big role in stopping Baylor's running game. And there was just a lot of off coverage early in the first half, which they can't really play a factor there. So I don't know if Oklahoma State just thought they could stop them with the defensive line and Malcolm and Devin, or they thought Baylor was going to have some counter to that. Mm. But that was a little disappointing. But overall, our guys, Antoine, Jernigan, Evers, Malcolm, they all played great. Again, yeah, Malcolm Rodriguez was making some amazing plays. I can't wait to see which of them come back. I wish I wish Rodriguez had a seventh year of eligibility because I'd be all for it. But, you know, Dustin, the question I want to ask you, you've had, you know, what, what is it, Wednesday night? You've had five days to, to digest this. If there was one thing you could point to and say that's what – lost Oklahoma state the game it won is there anything that you would point to directly and say that's the difference um because I'm having a really hard time with that um I I tweeted this and I'll, I'll start so I can give you a little bit of time to think I I tweeted this that you know you can almost throw those four interceptions out the window uh because you get down to the goal line and you've got a a, a half yard to, to to glory basically and you can't get it I think I'm going to walk that one back a little bit. I think, you know, if your quarterback takes care of the ball and makes a, a guy like Shapin put and, and Hutton's been great all year. So you're assuming that you're, you're netting about 50 yards of field position. You're losing 50 yards of field position when your quarterback turns the ball over on that side of the field. Um, I, I think I was probably wrong uh, because just the timing of those turnovers, the result of those uh, in the first half specifically, they didn't bite them in the second half, but the first half I would say to me is, is what cost them ultimately. Yeah. I think I'd have to agree with you there because if you don't, if you don't have this, and I know I get the Baylor has the blocked field goal, which yeah, good point. credit to Corey black good on point. that. You've got the missed field goal. You got the muffed punt. So Baylor had some things go wrong for them as well, but yeah, four interceptions is just tough. You don't win tough a whole lot of overcome games doing that. And it, especially just mixed with the fact that Grimes had such a good game plan early on. I Baylor's out there pulling off. This yeah. is a team that runs zone as much as Oklahoma State. They're out there pulling linemen. 
it was a masterclass by him in the first half, but he had no counter to Knowles in the second. So credit to Knowles there. But with the interceptions and with the way Baylor had planned for this game on offense, that kind of mixture, I just, I just don't think there's any way to come back from that. Yeah, yeah. I agree and they almost you, did it. They almost oh, did it. There, there is a way. Go get a half yard. That's why I've been struggling with this so much. Like, it's like, God, you, Spencer can't turn the ball over four times, but punch it in the end zone one time. And this is a totally different conversation. So I think that one will, uh, will be sour in the mouths of Cowboy fans for, for quite some time. Um, I do know that that guy who stopped Des, apparently he's a former walk-on and apparently uh, he has been timed at a 4-3-9. Yeah, 40. it looked like it. I'll tell you this, from my vantage point, so I've kind of already said I was in he's the a 12, linebacker. 13th row uh, in the corner of the Baylor end zone. So it's the end zone where the goal line stand is taking place. And uh, it's actually on the far side. So if you're if you're looking on TV and Dez is running to the near pylon, we're sitting on the far side. So when Dez breaks off towards the pylon, it looks like nobody's out there. And I'm I'm like turned around, like the walk in touchdown. And I turn back around, and you can very clearly see him not hit the pylon. And I would say that was that's up there with Ames. That's up there with thinking that field goal was good because it was, it was such whiplash from, I literally, the word destiny went through my head as Des is breaking towards the pylon. Cause I just couldn't see, uh, what was his name? Jaron McVay couldn't see him washed up. And he really wasn't. He made a great play and, and, and took a straight He's line, fast. took a straight line and knocked him out of bounds. So That's, great play. The stadium though, Cade was electric. Oh, with oh. how horrible that first half was, that steam was electric. And I did want to shout out. I told him I'd shout him out because he deserves it. Our boy Fuller, who helped, who picked the name of the podcast. Yeah. You know, we shout him out on here a lot. When Oklahoma State got a little momentum in the second half, he was getting some food in the, <laughs> as he calls it, the belly of Jerry World. Yeah. And we told him to stay down there, and he stayed the entire rest of the game to keep that momentum. So. He almost willed oh, the team to victory. Man of the people. <laughs> well, I mean, we probably would have beat him up if he would have come back. But Yeah, what a sacrifice. We he, we kept him in there, and he stayed, and he watched on those TVs. In the well, I, I was – we should have talked about this earlier. Man, that atmosphere, that stadium wow. was – you walk in, and it's just like, holy smokes, this is big boy football. I mean, it kind of hit me. Like, honestly, I thought I knew the gravity of the situation – and then you walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, Oklahoma State's ranked number five on, on conference championship weekend. And there's a college football playoff berth potentially on the line. Like I thought I grasped that. And then you walk into the stadium and I mean, the bands are playing, the fog. I mean, it was just an unbelievable atmosphere. I might've stormed the field if we won. It's a longer drop than Boone Pickett Stadium. So they might've had to triage me, but uh, it was a risk I would have been willing to take. No, I, it, it was... I don't want to say it was a fun time, but it definitely was, it was borderline. Awesome it was borderline. Atmosphere. Yeah, it was, it was great. And uh, you know, I had to mind my P's and Q's. We, we made a quick appearance on the jumbotron early and uh, early <laughs> on. And I was like, Oh boy, this goes South. I'm going to be like surrender cobraing. Like, and, and I just had to, had to grin and bear that. Don't put your hands on your head and just take, take your L. So anyway, Dustin, any final thoughts before we kind of move on? I think I'm good, Cade. All right. Well, let's take a break. Let's hear from one of our sponsors. There's a specific set of rules I live by, 
And one of those is that no tailgate is complete without a grill. No tailgate of mine, at least. And I know that no grill is complete without Gridiron Metalworks. Uh, these guys are fantastic. If you haven't heard of them, take a look. They do great work. They do collegiate branded grill grates, griddles, flower pots, stainless steel bookends, coasters, can coolers, and it's all in Oklahoma State school colors. I don't know if you've been walking through the store before. You see something with the Oklahoma State logo, but it really resembles the suit that Lloyd wore in Dumb and Dumber. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not even close. But these guys at Gridiron Metalworks, they nail the color. And with their products, you know, with their grill grates, you can sear your steak, burgers, brats, veggies, and they give you the perfect pistol peat mark every time. Plus, in addition to all that, this is the perfect gift to shop for. I know we got the holidays coming up right around the corner, and you probably know somebody in your life who you need something to buy something for, whether it's a boss, family member, coworker, whatever it may be. I bet you know who they like, what team they support, where they went to school, and I bet they're a Big 12 school. And if they are, Every single Big 12 school has a product through Gridiron Metalworks. So go check them out. Um, these are high quality, custom cut, made in the United States. And right now, when you use the promo code FEELS12, you'll actually get 15% off your first purchase. It's a fantastic deal. Um, I don't know if my wife's listening. I want one of these. Speaking of you know, somebody that's hard to purchase for, that's me. I know I do not have a Pistol Pete grill grate on my grill, but I wish I did. And uh, maybe she's standing outside the door listening to me. I could I could only help. But again, right now, use the promo code FEELS12 and you'll actually get 15% off your first purchase. It's a very generous offer and very thankful for that. I'm wondering if I can use my own promo code. I'll have to run that up the flagpole. Uh, the kicker, all orders over 100 bucks get free shipping. And so if you're a K-State fan, a West Virginia fan, uh, and you're looking for a grill grate, griddle, or a unique metal home good for your collection, just visit gridironmetal.com and use our promo code FEELS12 for 15% off your first order. Okay, well, we broke that down. That's over with. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, Baylor is over with. Again, we mentioned this earlier in the podcast, Oklahoma State's consolation prize, if you can even call it that, is a trip to uh, Glendale, Arizona, to take on Notre Dame fighting Irish. We're not going to preview that this week. Um, and frankly, we probably won't even preview that next week. There's such a long gap in between. Uh, we want to make sure we hit you with that at the right time. Uh, so next week, actually, we'll have a National Signing Day preview because it's going to fall right on that Wednesday. We'll have a special guest on the pod. Uh, Dustin, can we say? We can We can identify him, yeah? Yeah, he's n- he's not anything special. So yeah, friend of the pod, Adam Lunt's going to join us, break down the upcoming Oklahoma State class, which hopefully – uh, by the time we talk next week has has some unforeseen um, additions to it. That'd be nice, right? Uh, yeah. But before we get there, I mean, Dustin, we have a huge, huge story to talk about that broke last night. Uh, late last yesterday afternoon, I was as I was walking through a, a, a chucker field and uh, Jim Knowles, not the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State, heading off to Ohio State for reports are talking about, you know, around two million, making him one of the highest paid coordinators in all of college football so uh, Dustin your your initial reaction to the news sadness utter yeah. sadness I I think I've said on here he's one of my if not my favorite coach of any team I've ever been a fan of and just watching what he's done with this defense just amazing I respect the decision to leave obviously Ohio State big time program that's a lot of money just sucks though to lose a guy like Knowles. Um, we gotta tell Ryan Day to, my favorite to watch. We gotta tell Ryan Day to keep his paws off our assistants. Right? Yeah. He, he stole Mike Yersich from us. 
Uh, and and Intel now be so weird looking. Yeah, yeah. Why are your cheeks so red, dude? That's a great question. Um, you know, with Knowles, I mean, my my initial reaction was the same. You know, as this season went on, it was to me, I felt very confident that Oklahoma State would be able to keep him. Frankly, my confidence grew as it went on because I thought he did so much. Like my my initial thought at the beginning of the year was if he was going to move on, it would be this year because of the graduating class that's leaving. You got a lot of young guys coming back. This would make sense for like when his uh, assistant coaches historically leave a program. I didn't expect it after the way the season went on, the way Mike Gundy spoke about it in press conferences. Um, I felt like a deal was going to get done. I know that Oklahoma State, I, I, I know it. I know they did everything that they could to make this work. And, um, you know, at some point you just tip your cap and say thank you uh, to what I would say. Uh, Jim Knowles is to the Oklahoma State defense what Dana Holgerson was to the Oklahoma State offense in the 2010s. You could even argue it was a, a greater uh, achievement to turn around what was, you know, historically a sub 100 total defense to at times the number two total defense in the country. Just, uh, you know, to me, it's like grateful that we got to experience big time defensive football because I think that's where Oklahoma State's identity is going to have to go and continue in that direction over the next five, 10 years um, if they're going to continue competing. So uh, to me, disappointment, sadness, but ultimately zero, zero fault uh, of Jim Knowles for taking that offer. Yeah. No, I completely agree. It sounded like Oklahoma State was able to get up to like the 1.3 yeah. per year range. And just not, that's still a pretty big gap. 700k. I mean, you're talking about generational wealth building right there. And that 1.3 to two doesn't sound like a lot on the surface. And you think about it and you're like, what could you do with 700k a year? Well, I mean, just think about it. Like he was making 800k. So the gap was basically his previous salary. Sheesh. Sheesh. (laughs) So it's just, it's just, while I I don't want to, obviously we don't want to hit too much on that aspect because we know. Yeah. We know it's a done deal now. It hurts. It's all out there. It definitely hurts. The The one interesting thing will be to see if he coaches in the bowl game. I know Gundy has his, you know, once coaches announce they're leaving, they're kind of, they're kind of gone. But maybe he makes an exception for Knowles just with all the, like you said, with all the seniors and everything. It's, it's going to be a little odd, I think, that situation. I, I'm not 100% sure what happens. I know, I know that's his kind of policy, but we'll see. What happens with that? I'd love to see Knowles coach in the bowl game, though. Yeah, at some point to me, it's like you've done so much for the program. Maybe, and I don't know, I'm not going to assume that's a pride thing with Gundy, but you would just hope that, you know, cooler heads can prevail and, you know, let him ride one out one last time with the seniors if that's what Jim Knowles wants to do, right? He may right. already be in Columbus. We have no idea the specifics yeah, of the situation. I think, so. I think they were saying he starts on January 3rd. Yeah. So it sounds like it maybe could work and be – Obviously, like you said, that'd be kind of tight turnaround. It's up to him as well, but that would be cool. I'd love to see it. It definitely probably give us a better chance of winning the game. But Cade, what we wanted to do on this podcast, instead of mope and be sad. (laughs) Yeah, we already did that for the first half of this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. We wanted to kind of go ahead and get some names out there for possible replacements. I don't want this to seem like we're moving on from Jim Knowles like that because I'm going to be sad about it for years to come, but maybe we could try to, you know, kind of make things a little interesting, talk about this and get our minds off it. I, I love it. Let's do it. You got to move on. 
Okay. So Cade, what we're going to do is I'm going to go through what I call the copy paste list. <laughs> so these are the guys. I love and, that. No, no, no fault or anything, but these are the guys you're going to see these names pop up on every media list that comes out. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be. These are just some names to be aware of. And Kate, I'll go through them. I'll give you a little bit of background, maybe their salary, if I was able to find it. And then we can kind of talk about what you think, if any of them are realistic. So let's start. We've got Jim Leonard, the Wisconsin DC. He's making about 1 million. He's probably one of the most sought after guys right now for a lot of head coaching jobs as well. He's, he's got kind of a similar style to Venables. And I think, I honestly think he's going to be a head coach, but then we've got Mike Tressel, the nephew of Jim Tressel. He's at Cincinnati, makes about 700 K. He spent five years as a DC at Michigan state. And he has experience coaching linebackers, which obviously that's what kind of Noel's specialty was. So be good to get somebody in like that. Got Manny Diaz just recently leaving Miami. Miami defensive coordinator took over there in 2016 before they moved into head coach in 2019 after Mark Rick's, Rick stepped down. I'm, I'm flinching at that one. I don't want it. <laughs> you've got you've got everyone's favorite, the big guy, Gary Patterson. Yeah, that one. 61 years on this planet Earth. Country Mr. pop Patterson. artist. <laughs> one of, yeah, country music artist, one of Gundy's buddies. You see him chumming it up on those coaches X and those shows when they do that during the playoff. You got Joe Rossi, another linebackers coach and defensive coordinator at Minnesota. They've had some solid 12th in defensive points per drive, 17th in defensive yards per play, and 14th in the F plus rating, which will you'll hear me mention a couple of times. It's football outsiders metric that takes into account. FEI uh, and some other big time defensive metrics, basically just an all encompassing defensive indicator. You got Doug Belk, the associate head coach, defensive coordinator, safeties coach at Houston, making about 500K. Oh, Rossi makes about 600, sorry. And then the last one on this list, and then I'm going to do one kind of one more after this one, but Scott Simon, Stevens coordinator and linebacker, another linebackers coach from Liberty. Uh, they've had some solid defenses in that conference uh, on Hugh Freeze's staff there. And then the last one, this is going to be kind of the one that you'll see that people call their sleeper pick, but I think it's going to be on a bunch of people. So it's not really a sleeper, but you've got Shane Eaches. He was, he's at Houston Baptist safeties and defensive coordinator there. He spent three seasons at Oklahoma state, 2018 to 2020. He came on when Knowles was hired. And from all accounts, it sounds like he was kind of Knowles right-hand man, ran a lot of the drills, learned a lot of just kind of his base defensive knowledge from Noel's scheme. So he may be somebody that they look at. But, Kate, out of those guys, anyone realistic, anyone you that stands out to you, anyone that you like a lot? Yeah, as you were talking, I kind of wrote some notes down because, you know, I'll, I'll say this. First off, the ones that we had in common, and actually, I'll uh, before I say this, I want to, sh- I want to shout out uh, our buddies over at Pistols Firing because my list – was exactly the same as the one they put out. So I just want to <laughs> make note of that and uh, just call out the elephant in the room. Doug Belk stands out, but he's going to be a really popular guy. I mean, it yes. sounds like Florida might want him. Um, so we'll be interesting to see there. If I was going to make an internal hire, so Doug Belk is my number one. If I was going to make an internal hire, which I do like, I am a fan of if there's a good fit, especially you think about 
how important it's going to be to keep some of this young core together. I mean, we've already talked about Corey Black, Jabbar Muhammad. We haven't talked at all about Kendall Daniels. There's a lot of young talent, Colin Oliver, that needs to believe in the guy that they're bringing in. To me, that looks like Joe Bob Clements to me. Um, I That is no disrespect to Hammer or, or Duffy, but I just think Clements, I think Clements has been around the longest, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, not out of those three, yes, he's been there for nine years. Yeah. Uh, oh, him and Duffy are both nine years. Okay. And Hammer is seven. So all three of those guys, extremely familiar. I mean, you could go defensive coordinator by committee there for a little bit. Um, <laughs> and then the third one I have written down is, and again, this is a little bit of a copy-paste list. The idea of Gary Patterson is fun to me. I don't see it happening in a million years. You know, my, my one thought is, can that guy take a back seat? Uh, can he allow Mike Gundy to be the head coach and Gary Patterson be the defensive coordinator? That's an interesting dynamic there that I'm not sure I, I want a part of. But if, if it happened and it worked, you would have two of the top, you know, college football coaches in, in the last 20 years in the same room together, game planning every week. So Gary Patterson, to me, is like, if you were going to throw 1.3 at Jim Knowles, can you throw 1.5 at Gary Patterson? Because uh, it seems he's a proven product to me. The, I think the problem with Gary Patterson is, are, are Gundy and him not just going to be in one of the rooms drinking beers, chopping up That's a great film point. from old games? Great point. Not even talking to the players. They get real into SoundCloud, and they, they'd start like <laughs> dropping mixtapes and stuff. I – there's a lot of potential problems I see with Gary Patterson. Again, I don't think that's even a possibility. I think it's a fun talking point. Um, you know, one that I, you kind of perked my ears up with was Mike Tressel. That's, that's an interesting candidate right there. Oklahoma State could give him a pay bump. Um, maybe one to keep an eye on there. Yeah. I like that one as well. And, and out of the, out of the kind of in-house guys, Joe Bob, obviously that's our, I mean, that's yeah, my pick. probably favorite our favorite defensive group. He coaches the defensive line. He's been there for a while. I don't, I don't believe he does have defensive run game coordinator experience. He's never at, when he was at Kansas state, he's never been a defensive coordinator, but he's always coached defensive line, defensive ends. He's got obviously the, just really the Kansas state, San Diego state, and Oklahoma state background. So pretty, pretty set in his ways where he's been. He graduated a state. So there's obviously that, you know, just kind of if he were to do really well, would he maybe move over to there? But I do like Joe Bob. I really like Tim Duffy. Again, no, no coordinator experience, but he's got he's got a little bit of NFL experience. He's kind of hopped around a couple of different places. We've seen with the Oklahoma State cornerbacks what he's been able to do with guys like Rodarius Williams, yeah. AJ Green, turning Christian Holmes into an absolute monster. Jarek Bernard Converse. You see Corey Black, Hunter Muhammad now, and then Dan Hammerschmidt. Another guy got a little bit of NFL experience there. He's been kind of all over the place. He's coached on the offensive side of the ball as well. You've seen what Oklahoma State's done with their safety. So all three of these guys, if you want to – kind of positive with going with an internal guy is you're probably going to keep a lot, of, a lot more recruits if you don't turn over the entire staff. You've got guys who know kind of what Knowles was doing. They could keep a little bit of that but add in their own personal kind of touch to it. And then the players that are here already are familiar with these guys. So I know a lot of people don't like the internal hire. I know that a lot of people didn't like Casey Dunn be promoted on the offensive side, but I do think those guys are probably pretty likely candidates and I could see them. I, I think Joe Bob, like you said, is probably the front runner in Gundy's mind if, if I were to make a guess, but 
it's just okay, there's a lot of defensive coordinator openings. Yeah, Clemson needs one. Notre Dame needs one. Florida has a co-DC in Patrick Tony right now, but they're going to obviously hire another co-DC. Wisconsin, if Leonard leads, they'll need one. Houston will need one. If Belk leaves, Oklahoma needs one. So there's there's a lot of big time openings. So it's going to be tough to get one of these top. That names. that makes me think an an internal hire is is the is what is more probable than anything. Yeah. So Cade, let me throw let me throw three guys at you that I have down that I like that maybe aren't on the copy paste list. Maybe they will be, and maybe I'm just trying to make myself sound hipster and cool. And you're you know, you're known for that. There. Yeah. But. Here are my three guys. My first one, Cade. This guy looks like an absolute psychopath. His name is Kurt Maddox at San Diego State. Also a linebacker's coach, so he could come in on that for Knowles. San Diego State was seventh in points per drive, defensive points per drive this year, eighth in defensive yards per play, and 12th in that F-plus metrics I told you about. He's only 46 years old doesn't have ties to any major university. He played at the University of Indianapolis, and then he finished his career at, uh, or his college at Valparaiso. He looks like in his, he doesn't always look like this because he used to have shorter hair, but in his picture on San Diego State's website, it's a little bit of a mullet, and he kind of looks like Gary Patterson and Mike Gundy mixed together, which I love because yeah. that kind of, t- then you don't need Gary Patterson. Yeah, You've right. got this guy, but I really, really like his defense. I was able to watch. And like I said, I, I kind of started, I told you off air, I, I started looking at some of these guys before the Knowles news broke, just, just in case, because I knew there was going to be a lot. And I wanted to have some guys just kind of on my plate that I'd watch some film on. He likes to go three down with the stand-up edge. It's, it's a 3-3-5, kind of pseudo 3-3-5, 4-2-5 scheme. So it'd fit in, plays a lot of man, throws in some zone. He likes to be real aggressive. I saw a lot of the five and six men up at the line of scrimmage. So I think it would kind of fit the Knowles moniker. And every single picture of him that you look up, he's just screaming, which yeah, I love. I love it. You want your defensive coordinator to maybe look like he could kill somebody at any at any given moment. Yeah. You or you want him smoking stogies after the could game. Kill you way. or could kiss you. <laughs> That's <laughs> what you want. Could kiss you. So he makes 500 k So we could definitely give him a pay bump, but. I really, really like him. He's been a Broyles Award nominee twice this year in 2020. He's just, I, I just think, I just think he fits. He'd fit with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I think he'd fit with the culture. I, obviously, linebackers coach, kind of fit with the scheme. And I think the guys would love him. He seems like somebody that the players like. So that's my first one. The next one is Toledo's defensive coordinator, Vince Karras. So he was at Mount Union. His dad coached at Mount Union, Larry, for forever. He took over at Mount Union. He's been a part of like 12 championship teams at Mount Union. He was there when Matt Campbell was there. So he's got that kind of tie there. Alex Alex Grinch played there when his dad coached there. Campbell played there when his dad coached there. So he's got some ties to some of these big defensive names that you got. 45 years old. He took Toledo from 110th in defensive points for drive in 2019 to 31st in 2020. And now they're 13th, 15th in yards per play and 24th in that F plus. Like I said, he's the son of a coach. He's run in his time. I, I looked this up and was able to watch some film on Toledo. He's run four, three, he's run four, two, five. He's run the three, 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 five at Toledo was a lot of four down looks super aggressive 
he in 2020 he called blitzes on 38.5% of passing plays and there was three games at over 50%. Not as much oh, blitzing I like this that. year. I watched watched some of that Notre Dame game. He didn't bring as much pressure pressure, but again, another guy that when you look at him looks like a psycho. Love that. Really like kind of I feel like he'd be a little bit more under the radar guy and it's because he was at Mount Union so long, coaching after his dad, coaching with his dad. He hasn't had a lot of exposure, but I think he's a really good coach, again, in that like 40, 45-year range, kind of like Matt, uh, Kurt Maddox was. And shout out to our GPS buddy, Jeff V. I know he's a big Maddox guy as well. And then the last guy, and this one's if they want to go just the young guy route, but if they did this, I think it would be a huge issue with the rest of the staff especially the more tenured guys. So this would be kind of a complete overhaul, but Austin Armstrong at Southern Miss. So that he's only 29 years old. Southern Miss is, I'm not going to go through their statistics. They're not going to jump out at you, but this guy has been on the staff at Southeastern with Ron Roberts, Baylor's defensive coordinator. And then he spent some time at Georgia with Kirby smart. And these guys <laughs> Kirby Smart said, Austin is one of the sharpest guys to come through our program. Kids relate to him, love playing for him. I have no doubt he'll go on to Southern Miss back to playing or get Southern Miss back to playing a really great defense. Ron Roberts said, Austin is one of the next bright stars in the profession. I think this guy would just be one that you would take a flyer on that he is going to be the next big thing in defensive coaching. That would be pretty risky, especially with how young he is. Like I'm saying, that would probably really piss off the rest of the staff, especially the more tenured guys. But just another name that I like out there. And then my last flyer one, I didn't do a lot of research on this guy, but if Gundy wants to go the Yursich route, Scott James at Holy Cross, they literally lead like every <laughs> every FCS defensive category, but I, I didn't really watch much on them. Well, what's uh, what's Shippensburg's uh, defensive coordinator up to these days? <laughs> no, Dustin, that's a fantastic – Did I sell you on any of those Yeah, guys? no, I, I actually, as you were talking, I, I was looking up Austin Armstrong because – that's one that if he's that bright, you are going to get three years out of a guy like that, but it would sustain what you've got. I think I don't see that happening, but I mean, you look him up. I mean, that guy, he's, a, he's baby face. He's, he's a young guy, yeah, really look young like a guy. psycho, which I no, like, no, but. looks like a, a young guy who a football guy, frankly, that's the best way I can describe him. Looks like he grew up around the game, loves the game uh, would be interesting. I would like to see him. Um, I, I like the idea of a Holy Cross guy. You know, Gundy loves doing stuff like that too. So yeah, I don't know. So we'll see. We just gave you guys like nine, ten, yeah, ten people. Yes, yeah, so, that's all you get. Yeah, that's that's as much as we could do in one night. But like I said, I got a little bit of a head start of it, so I kind of cheated. But I really like Belk. I think it's gonna be tough to get him, and I really like Maddox. I think those are my two guys. Those are my two top two top guys. Yeah. I like that too. I, I hope Belk is even a possibility. I think Florida, you know, if they don't go get him, I, I would be curious to know why you, you mentioned they've got a co-defensive coordinator, but shoot, they're going to get, they're going to throw every amount of every dollar that Oklahoma state could at him. So let's see what happens. And LSU, if they don't, if they don't keep Jones, they might need, they might need one as well. Yeah. From Brian Kelly staff. There's so many big schools that need a DC. It's going to, it's going to be tough. And that's why I kind of wanted to go a little bit more off the wall with my guys with 
Southern Miss, San Diego State, and Toledo. Well, I love how you had the copy-paste list, and then you had a list with Toledo, San Diego State, and Holy Cross, and Southern Miss on it. I mean, where else are you going to get that type of breakdown? That's fantastic. Dustin, thanks for the heavy lifting there. Uh, It's great stuff. I will be very interested to see, one, who coaches in the bowl game. You know, my gut tells me it's a tryout. It's a tryout for one of the assistant coaches that's potentially being looked at. JBC. JBC, we can't call him that because every time I hear that and see it, I think Jerick Bernard Converse. I I agree. I I just like Joe Bob. Yeah, Joe Bob. Joe Bob's yeah. great. Rolls right off the tongue. Um, so I'll be interested to see who coaches in the bowl game. Uh, it's a fascinating storyline going into the offseason too. I I bet this doesn't drag on very long. And Kate, I did just want to real quick because we got some. And sorry to interrupt. We got some questions on Twitter about most of the questions were about the defensive coordinator. So I just want to kind of shout some people out because we we answered that just going through, but we got um, we got from OCH four OSU OH four O. What's the likelihood Gunder hi- Gundy hires a known commodity at DC, or does he continue to look off the beaten path? We just talked about it. We think he maybe goes off the beaten path there. We've got Sam Tomlinson. He said, if you had a, and he's at Pac-Man Tomlinson, he said, if you had a choice, would you rather bring in a former NFL DC, such as Rob Ryan, Matt Patricia, Marvin Lewis, or an up and coming college coach, such as Houston's <laughs> Belk? Do you think, and, and then he, he talks about OC, which we'll probably hit on in a later podcast, but I think Cade and I are fine going college route. It can be a guy with NFL experience, but we like a lot of the college guys. Hey, real quick, Rob Ryan and Stillwater. Holy cow. Talk about a fish <laughs> out of water. Isn't he from Oklahoma though? He just doesn't give he, me Oklahoma vibes. Yeah. I, that, that would be, that would be pretty wild. Uh, Neil Crone also asked who the DC, the DC candidates are who would fit schematically. I talked about some stuff with Maddox and Karis that I think would work. Um, and then always shout out to Royal John OSU at Wasted Optimism. Go read his. Pretty funny there. And then Lee Cothran at Dynasty Define, also with a funny one there. So appreciate that. Oh, and the last one we got was from at Brett Rags. Brett Ragsdale talking about Spencer Sanders' interceptions against Baylor. We kind of covered that with their disguise scheme, the way they're able to do the simulated pressures, the creepers. So thanks, guys. I think – I know I did that really fast, but I think I hit on everybody. We had another one from at Brian Metcalf that we're going to save for a different pod because I think it would take a little bit more discussion. But really love, really love the questions on Twitter. Uh, I know we didn't get to them last time, so we wanted to hit on them this time. Well, thanks for doing that, Dustin. And it's a perfect segue. Why don't we just jump right into uh, our audio questions for the week? Again, you can always submit these on Anchor. Uh, by now, if you're a listener to this podcast, you know the drill. Head over to our Twitter page, click the link in our bio, and leave us a voice message. Um, this is, again, one of my favorite parts of the podcast. Outside of looking at you for an hour and a half every Tuesday, Wednesday night, Dustin, <laughs> this is probably number number one for me. So why don't we um, go ahead and talk listener questions uh, here in just a second. And this first one is from Luke. Hey guys, long time listener, first time question asker Uh, question for you. So obviously with the championship loss, you know, this season kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth as of right now, but where do you guys rank this season in terms of, you know, success uh, over, you know, the Gundy era of OSU football? Thanks guys. Luke, That's thank you for the question. question, man. It's great. I've, I've thought a little bit about this. Um, Thanks, I, uh, to me, it's going to be a strong number too. Um, there, there's a lot of disappointment lingering, um, but none of that is based on, you know, like, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm thankful for 11 and two seasons when they happen. Um, th- that's not defeatist of me. That's not little brother of me. Uh, I hope not. At least I think we uh, probably Oklahoma state has taken that next step. So to me, this is a strong number two, right behind 2011. Um, I think you could also make the case. It's right there with 2013. Um, there's been a lot of close ones and a lot of disappointing uh, finishes to seasons, but you know, to me, this was such a fun ride. I left that stadium you know, stunned number one, but as, as the dust settled for me, just like a lot of gratitude, I guess, this is something that I love. I mean, Oklahoma state football is like a part of me. So when they're number five on conference championship weekend, like it's not lost on me that that scenario, regardless of how the game goes. So uh, Luke, thanks for the question, man. Yeah. I love that question. I think I've got to put it number two as well. You come up inches short of possibly giving yourself a, a chance to get into the college football playoff. I, I'm not really sure how you could rank anything above it in the Gundy era besides the 2011 season. Yeah, I think anything else would have to be right next to it just because of how close, close yeah, you were. But Yeah, but, so anyway, yeah, Luke, great question, man. Yeah, keep, thanks so keep much, Luke. Coming. Uh, here's another one from questions. Hayden. Hey, y'all, great podcast. Hey, thanks. Quick question. If you had to line up against Siaki Aika or Perion Winfrey, who would scare you more? Oh, God. None. <laughs> Build I'm, different. I'm, cry- I'm crying either. What? what? Yeah, no. Perry on Winfrey is, uh, is. How big just, is Winfrey? Uh, too big Six to four, be that fast. Too big to be that fast. So Ika, Ika's got about 50 pounds on him. Yeah. So about I think 60. it just kind of depends. If, if Winfrey's getting a full head of steam, He's definitely faster. I mean, you saw what Winfrey did to Brock Purdy, right? Yeah, I'm picturing Winfrey hitting me in my arms and legs flying off of my body. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. But if it's just like grabbing me and slamming me, I'd probably rather Winfrey than Ika because if Ika's slamming me, I'm going through the ground. It's a good, it's a good point. You're part of the earth now. Yeah, so I, I think it would have to – I think it just depends. You just got to be more specific. Hayden, yeah, yeah, we'll pass. No, for me, Winfrey <laughs> scares the living hell out of me. So I would go with him. But Siaki Ika, uh, did I get, I have told you, Dustin, I'm going to butcher that. So I'm going to pull up my notes here. Yes, yeah, Siaki Ika. Uh, he is a freak of nature and um, so yeah, strong. Would scare either one, total mismatch. <laughs> but hey, Danny Goodlevsky held his own against him. In that he did. Would have been good to have him this time. All mm-hmm. right, here's one from our old buddy, Joel Pinfield. Hey guys, it's Joel Penfield. Uh, I love the podcast. I'm so glad you guys are back doing this thing. I, I enjoy every episode. Uh, where does the game on Saturday rank? And this can be across all sports. It doesn't just have to be football. In the pantheon of pain for Oklahoma State sports, I think it's at the top purely because not only was it just the way that they lost, but everything with it knowing that you were that close to a college ball playoff berth and just everything that went wrong from the interceptions to just some of the breaks that didn't go their way and then coming up about three inches short of hitting the pylon and having a really good chance at a playoff berth uh i i think this one probably hurts the most uh, of any oklahoma state loss that i can think of i'll take the i'll take your guys question off the air appreciate y'all Thanks, Joel. I said last week, Joel. my favorite questions, Joel, dude, it's good to hear from you, brother. I said last week, my favorite questions are the ones where people answer it. 
Uh, I love that. I, I love that as well. I love it. It's like they've they've got a question and they've thought about it and they're going to tell you what they think. And then they're going to ask you. I love that. I really do. I, and Joel, good buddy. Great to hear from you. Thanks for sending that in. Yeah. Thanks so much, Joel. I, I can't. Or, Kate and I are not just saying that we love these voicemails. We literally love these voicemail questions. It's almost we, like we're having these mini guests on the show at the end of every show. And it's you guys don't know so this. Much fun for us. We, we send your voice questions back and forth in a text message during the day so we can hear them before they're talked about later in the day. So that's how much we love them. We text about you during the day. Um, yeah, so thanks, Joel. Joel, I don't, dude, I can't. I can't Either relive all this those. or Iowa State, right? Yeah, and he said across all sports, and the only thing that I would think of is like 2004 Final Four. Um, but, you know, this See, all hurts so much. I'd be a poser, though, if I included that for me. Yeah, well, because I, like I said, I wasn't, a, I wasn't an Oklahoma State fan until I started going to school there since I was from Louisiana. And so 2007 and on is really it for me. Yeah. That one stands out. I mean, it was the first real like sucker punch. Um, I mean, those Texas losses when I was a kid where OSU would get up 35 to 10 and get throttled (laughs) in the second half, two years in a row by Vince Young, those hurt. Um, But yeah, man, I would say this and Iowa state are clear front runners. Yeah. I think it's gotta be those two, one, a one B. Yeah, to be knocking on the door like that is enough to make a grown man nearly cry. So, uh, Joel, thanks for the question, brother. All right, we got one final one from a frequent caller, KS Pokes fan. Our guy. Hi, Kate. Dustin. Got two quick questions for you because we don't even want to talk about basketball. It's uh, a train wreck. <laughs> uh, why, are, why do you think the OSU fans are so quick to turn on Gundy when Ooh. it's not really his fault. We lost that game. And does anyone know if Godleski will be back for the bowl game? That's the reason we mainly lost the game. We didn't have him in the game. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think you're spot on that that's a huge reason Oklahoma State lost. I don't have any information on Godlevsky. Uh, might he be back. He wasn't dressed. No, he, he was, was on the bike on a little scooter a thing. Yeah. yeah. So what I had originally heard was that he broke his foot. Right. But then there were rumors that he was going to try to play. So it seemed like it probably wasn't a broken foot. But I've never really got anything confirmed there. If it's a broken foot, he may be able to come back for the bowl game. He's been out for a while. That would be yeah. seven weeks so, almost. So we'll see. I, I, I feel like he would want to because he's probably done. So after that, I, I mean, he may, he may be able to play in the NFL. He's a really good, he's a yeah, really good center. Yeah. But I think he would try. I'll try to get some info on that, but I, I don't have any right now. Like you said, Cade, I, I, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, your, your first one. We kind of worked backwards here. Why, why are people so quick to turn on Mike Gundy? I, I don't know. I think uh, Dustin and I, were, it's pretty well documented our opinion on Mike Gundy and, and his ability as a coach. Uh, we, we tend to skew a little bit more positive than some of the things you would read and, and see on, on Twitter. And um, so I don't have a great answer for you on that one. I would, I would think a lot of it is, um, ooh, I almost said something I should. It's, I would, I would it's think the a easiest lot of, person to blame. He is when anything goes When you're the wrong. head coach. 
And I would think that just the sheer volume of success that Oklahoma State's had uh, lends to you got to blame someone when something goes wrong, and he's an easy target. So that's that's kind of what you said, Dustin. That's where I land. Yeah, and and I agree. You know, you and I probably a little bit more positive than some people. So kind of not really in our wheelhouse to get like that. But I that would be kind of my take yeah. on it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, Dustin, I mean, before we wrap this show, I mean, <laughs> the question right there, why would anybody want to talk about basketball? Well, we have to, we're about to talk about it a whole lot on this podcast. Um, tough week, really tough week for Oklahoma state with two, two home losses, uh, against Wichita state and Xavier, uh, really kind of a stretch run of the non-conference schedule that, you know, it looked like at times they were going to win both of those games. And, um, you know, to me, one switch to zone is all she wrote. That's what I see. And it's, it seems like that's just the cop-out thing to say, but it's the only thing Boynton's talking about in both his pressers after Wichita State and Xavier. Xavier's coach said they hadn't run zone all season. Oh, my god! And then they whipped it out against Oklahoma State in the second half because they were down. And then they came back, and if Oklahoma State can't crack 30% from three, 29% against Wichita State and 27 against Xavier – you need that, and and Boyden hits on it. It I mean, he knows what needs to be done. They've just got to do it. You need to get the ball to high post, the short corner. You got to get out and run so they can't get back into their zone, and you've got to be able to hit threes. And they just haven't been able to do that. He's been t- playing with the lineup a little bit. You saw, uh, you saw Woody Newton, who's a little yeah, bit of a shooter, be able to get buster. in there and go two from five for three. So maybe he starts playing a little bit more the bench was pretty terrible in the Wichita state game. And they'd actually been pretty good most of the season. So you got Xavier out rebounded them, which you don't see a lot against Oklahoma state getting out rebounded. And then, and you got to get more from ice on the offensive end. You've got to get more from them. I'm with you. And it feels like, you know, Oklahoma State's scheme is getting guys there. Like they're not great shots, but they're shots that like you would expect to hit at a better clip than they are, you know, 29 and 27% from three doesn't accurately reflect the amount of looks that they're getting. Just like the ball's not going in the hoop. Yeah, no, I completely agree. One good thing though, cause we talked about him last time, Avery Anderson, he's finally getting it going a little bit, 17 points of six of 13 shooting against Wichita state, 26 points of 10 of 18 shooting against uh, Xavier. He did, I think he had quite a few turnovers. Was it in the Wichita State game? I think he had six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not great. So you gotta you gotta limit the turnovers. But he's rebounding, assisting. He's he's finally kind of looking like the Avery Anderson from last year a little bit. But you've got to get more from these other guys, and maybe it's putting Woody Newton in there. Maybe it's get Keelan Boone a little bit more looks from three. But it's almost like you have to put what little shooters you have out there or teams are just going to run zone and you're going to continue to struggle on offense. Yeah. It's kind of like you said, you need your, your main guys to continue to be your main guys. And I mean, likely is kind of a zone problem. He can probe the lane. He can get in there and get physical, but he's just not doing a lot of that. And when he gets in there, the ball's not going in. So there's just a lot of the orange round ball, not going in the orange round hoop. Like that's what it, it feels like. It to really me. is. 
It really is. And, and ice has been playing pretty good on defense. And now you've got, I think they were saying, I think Boynton said Keelan has a back thing. Bryce Thompson has a hip thing. Rondell was sick. So yeah, <laughs> you've got tough. some of these injury things going on, which it didn't sound like any of them would be nagging, but man, I'm, I'm worried. I'm looking at Ken Palm and he's got the Cleveland state win on Monday. They've got, they've got Oklahoma state winning that. And then they've got, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven straight losses projected Sheesh. after that. Sheesh. Until the TCU game on January 19th. I don't want it to be that long before a win. I got season tickets. You and I got great games to go to. <laughs> I truly hope that does not happen. Next next pod, we'll have the Cleveland State game, and that's really it. But we wanted to hit on these two. Kate, need to get that else? one. It's, it's really just – it's really just the offense struggling against the zone. I, I don't really know what else to well, you know, go into. The calling card for Oklahoma State basketball is, is going to be defensive intensity. I think they're doing that. And one thing I will say, no postseason this year, that team is playing their ass off, okay? They're mm-hmm. playing hard, and I enjoy watching them. They th- The ball's going to start falling at some point. We saw this a little bit last year, if you remember. Um, so just give them time. Keep going to the games and uh, – yeah, give them your support because this is this is a tough situation to be in, but they're playing hard, so you love to see yeah. that. Hopefully they turn it around, got to make free throws as well, but maybe we can break some of that seven-game losing streak that Kim Palm has projected, but they're playing some tough teams, so yeah. we'll see. Well, we'll see. All right, Dustin, anything before we wrap up, man? This was a great episode. Good to talk to you. No, I think I'm good. We'll see what happens with the defensive coordinator stuff, and then if unless there's some scheduling issues, we'll have one on next week to – drop some knowledge on us we really appreciate him he's he's the man so yeah we'll be sure to tune into that we'll be recording wednesday night so it should be available for your drive to work on thursday uh so obviously keep it locked with us follow us on twitter at feels like 45 pod you can follow dustin at dust ragu you can follow me at Cade webb and keep up to date with us i mean we're, we're dropping twitter feeds twitter threads like nobody's business i mean dustin Shout out to you, dude. Uh, tweets getting picked up in the athletic today. That's pretty big time. <laughs> big time for yeah. a little old podcast. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, that was that was cool. Well, it's it's good stuff. Appreciate you as always, Dustin. Uh, if there's no other final thoughts, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, tough week, obviously for Oklahoma State, but a lot to look forward to, uh, and we look forward to talking with you again next week. Go Pokes. All right, guys, listen up. Our partners at Symbol, who you already know, have a brand new offering, and we're pumped about it. But before we get to that, here's a quick reminder of what you already know. Symbol is a stock market for sports that allows you to profit off of your sports knowledge. And on Symbol, you can trade sports like stocks, and every time your team wins, you earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Join the over 8,000 early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams and visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure you use our promo code feels 12 for a money back guarantee. Hold on just a second. Money back guarantee. You heard it right. Symbol, our partner is offering a money back guarantee to all of the listeners of this show. That money back guarantee means even if you lose money in the first 90 days, Symbol will refund your initial deposit with no 
questions asked. I don't know anybody doing something like that right now. So visit www.symbol.com and again, use our promo code FEELS12 and your deposit will have a money back guarantee up to 500 bucks. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams today.